Welcome to the Sunrise Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday morning service. For more about Sunrise Church go to our website at hastings.church. Let's now go to the message. Um, two thank yous. First of all, number one, thank you to Kirsty for that new song. Love it. Really faith-filled words. So I'm hoping we're going to get, that's going to be part of our our new repertoire because it's something you can really get hold of and thank you Manuel for that excellent communion message you really took us somewhere and your uh, understanding and articulation of repentance we all got it we all got it didn't we well I want to start off with a little story something different because this story is really the platform for my message today so are you sitting comfortably Yeah, just have a wriggle round in your seat. Make sure that you're all comfy. And I'm going to tell you a story. Once upon a time, a long, long time ago, a king and queen ruled over a distant land. The queen was kind and lovely, and all the people of the realm adored her. The only sadness in the queen's life was that she wished for a child, but did not have one. One winter day, the queen was doing needlework while gazing out of her ebony window at the fallen snow. A bird flew by the window, startling the queen, and she pricked her finger. A single drop of blood fell on the snow outside her window. As she looked at the blood on the snow, she said to herself, Oh, how I wish that I had a daughter that had skin as white as snow lips as red as blood and hair as black as ebony. Soon after that, the kind wish got, kind queen, got her wish when she gave birth to a baby girl who had skin white as snow, lips red as blood and hair black as ebony. They named the baby princess Snow White. Did you all get that one? Yeah? Snow White. But sadly, the queen died after giving birth to Snow White. Soon after, the king married a new woman. He didn't take long, did he? Who was beautiful, but as well proud and cruel. She had studied dark magic and owned a magic mirror of which she would daily ask, mirror, mirror, on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? Each time that she asked this question, the mirror would give the same answer. Thou, O queen, art fairest of all. This pleased the queen greatly, as she knew that her magical mirror could speak nothing but the truth. One morning, though, when the queen asked, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? She was shocked when it answered, You, my queen, are fair, it's true, but Snow White is even fairer than you. The queen flew into a jealous rage and ordered her huntsman to take Snow White into the woods to be killed. She demanded that the huntsman return with Snow White's heart as proof. What a wicked queen. I grew up on that story as a child. Anybody else? Anybody else? Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Disney did it brilliantly. But it was only as I started to prepare the message today that I thought back to that story and I thought about the moral message that this story 
teaches us. You see, the crux of the story contains this very, very important message. It shows us the cost of comparison and of what comparing ourselves with others leads to. Yes, in the Queen's case, it actually led to murder. You see, comparison only serves to strengthen our own insecurities, as it did with the Queen, which led to jealousy and competitiveness. And there is an interesting line in the story which I want to highlight to you this morning, because it highlights what comparison will do to us if we let it. So the Queen realizes, because of what the mirror has told her, that Snow White is not dead, she is truly alive somewhere. And the story goes on, this is what it says, then she thought and thought again. In my, in my notes, I thought, ooh, ooh, whatever you are thinking about grows. Whatever you're meditating on grows. Whatever you're feeding, you are breeding, okay? So murderous thoughts are breeding in her heart because she's getting obsessive. She's eaten up with jealousy. So she thinks to herself, how can she get rid of Snow White? For as long as she was not the most beautiful woman in the entire land, her jealousy would give her no rest. Just want that to sink in. Her jealousy would give her no rest. Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. Let me add to that quote and say not only is it the thief of joy, but it's the thief of our rest. It takes away our peace. We thought we were okay, and then suddenly we're not. It makes us not feel okay inside. And we all do it because it's a very human tendency. So if you're sitting there right now going, oh, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, and you think that nobody else in this room's guilty, you are wrong, okay? Because we all do it. It's something that we do. We measure ourselves against each other. And when we do that, we either judge ourselves as better than or less than. If we judge ourselves as better than, we start moving into the realm of pride, don't we? If we, if we decide that we are less than, then like Manuel said earlier, we start thinking we're a worm, that we're nothing. We hate ourselves. We harm ourselves. Now, I'm, I thought, what could I give you that was scriptural, just to pull some things out of the Bible? So I've got two stories for you today, and the first one is in Luke chapter 18. So if you want to flick into your Bibles, you can, or if you've got it on your phone, um, as you know, I will guide you through it. Because this is a fantastic example of feeling better than, okay? So here it goes. You've got in Luke chapter 18, verse, you can start from verse 10, that's where I'm pitching into. You've got two men who are going into the temple to pray. Now, one is a Pharisee, and before I move on too quickly although I think that everybody here might know what a Pharisee is, just in case you're going, excuse me, what's that, Pharisee? Don't know what that is. Let me explain. A Pharisee would be a member of a religious sect. They were known as holy men. 
They were very particular about keeping all the religious laws. They wanted everything just so. They wanted to be so righteous. In fact, they pursued purity with a passion. Okay? And they were very sincere, but they were sincerely misguided as well. So that's the first man, the Pharisee. The second man is a tax collector who goes in to pray as well. Now, tax collectors in those days were social outcasts. They were religious outcasts. Nobody liked the tax man. Everybody hated the tax man in 2021. I think probably it's just the same today. I can't think of anybody who would say, yippee, the tax man's taken some of my wages. Thank you very much, Mr. Taxman. I have friends who have personally had massive battles with the tax, tax man. So, yeah, they're not the most popular of people. Now, the Pharisee goes in to pray, and it says probably there in your Bible in the Scripture that he prayed thus with himself. Oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector here. He says, I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all I possess. And when I read that, I started to laugh to myself. You know, there's that classic expression that could be used here to describe him. He was looking down his nose at this man. Do you have that in Colombia, looking down your nose? Okay, in, very English then. Looking down his nose, looking down his nose. When you read the Bible, just listen to the expressions, listen to the tone, listen to how people are saying things because it can really give you a clue as to what's really going on. So he was looking down his nose, he had contempt, he had an attitude of superiority, and he clearly thought that he was fairest of them all. And then we have the tax collector. Now, he comes before God in a completely different way. His head is downcast in shame. He cannot even lift his eyes to heaven. And he does this. He beats his chest, saying, Oh, God, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. Oh, God, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. So different to the Pharisee. He doesn't believe that he is the fairest of them all because he knows who he is. He knows what he's done. He knows that God knows and God sees and God sees right into him, into his very soul, into his motives, into the very depths of his heart. He isn't comparing himself with the man next to him. He's comparing himself to the God of righteousness, to the God of holiness, and he knows that he falls so short of that righteousness and that holiness. Jesus was telling this story. So what's Jesus' interpretation of this little vignette? Well, this is what Jesus says in verse 14. He turns around and he says to the crowd that were listening to him tell the story, he says, I tell you that this man went down, this man, the tax collector man, went down to his house justified. What he's saying is he went home justified. He went home, as we heard in the communion message, thank you for setting the platform for this, <laughs> he went home 
from, from the temple, he went home full of that joy, light-hearted, feeling clean on the inside, feeling as if the weight that he carried of his sin had just been taken from. He was justified, which when I was a new Christian, I learnt very early on, was just as if I had never sinned. Nice little easy thing to remember, justified, just as if he'd never sinned. His sin had been wiped away, taken away. I think the Pharisee went home carrying his on his back, although he probably didn't realise that, because he was so full of pride. The Pharisee, of course, was relying on his own human achievements, his own perceived perfection, whereas the tax collector quite clearly understood that he needed the grace of God on his life, and that's why he felt so deeply, deeply convicted of his own imperfection. Some time ago, somebody introduced me to the wonders of Pinterest. They did warn me that it was fairly addictive, and I have to say that is true. You can look into all these people's homes, you can find so much on there, but I'm going to just paint a little scenario for you this morning just to try and help us understand what goes on in this whole comparing thing. At the click of a button, I can be in someone else's bedroom, okay? You never used to be able to do that unless you were invited into somebody's home. Usually they put you in the front room. I have had people go into my house and go to the toilet, and when they've gone, I know they've been in my bedroom because I know how I left my door just like that. They were just having a nosy round. Don't go in my bedroom. Don't go in my cupboards. Stay where I invited you. But... You can go online and you can go into somebody else's bedroom. So at 7 o'clock in the morning, let me paint this for you, I wake up and I go on Pinterest. And there I see these bedrooms. Oh, there's a beautiful bedroom. It looks calm. It looks cosy. The wallpaper is, oh, vintage, just what I would want. And there it is with the, this beautiful duvet and, and curtains and um, lighting and, oh, oh, I love that picture that they've put up there. Oh, oh, and then on the bed they've got a breakfast tray with, you know, a, a nice cup of coffee and a delicious breakfast there. And so I look at that and I think, how wonderful it must be to live in that bedroom and to have that bedroom. And I start to feel envious of those people who have that bedroom to go into every night and go to sleep in. How how peaceful, how wonderful their life must be to live and to sleep in a bedroom like that, those people who live in that perfect bedroom. And then I go downstairs at 7 a.m. in the morning. I trip over the cat, so I yell at the cat. I find that the kids have made a mess already at 7 o'clock in the morning, and so I yell at the kids. And then my husband walks through the door rubbing his eyes, and I yell at him because, of course, now I'm thinking about the wardrobe that is flat-packed that has stood up against the wall for the last year, so now I'm fed up with him because he hasn't put it up. And so my husband is not like all these other husbands that manage to, throughout lockdown, uh, renovate a whole house. So I'm fed up, I'm depressed, I'm dissatisfied, I'm discouraged, and it's only seven o'clock in the morning because I've compared my life with someone else's. Stephen Furtick, anybody know him? Well-known preacher. Let me quote him. He says, the reason we struggle 
is that because we compare our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. I'll say that for Jeff who's taking notes. The reason we struggle is because we compare our behind the scenes with everyone's highlight reel. That's a note worth taking. Of course it is. Of course it is. That's what we do, don't we? We don't think about how that person in that perfect photo of that perfect bedroom spent three hours ironing that duvet. We don't think about the fact that when they put that breakfast tray on the bed, they put it, I put it, oh no, that doesn't look right. Oh, no, I, I put it there. Oh, I don't know, no, that doesn't look right. Oh, no, I'll take that plate away. Yeah, oh, that looks better. Oh, I need a flower. Oh, I've got to get a flower. Um, teapot, coffee, tea, I, I don't know. No, oh, got it, got it. That's it, I've got it. And when they've done all that, guess what they do? They put a filter on it. They make a beautiful, warm glow come over this bedroom that totally sucks you in. I was talking with somebody recently about filters. Somebody who was just thinking about maybe meeting a young lady, but explained to me that they don't look like they used to because the photo does lie. Because now there are such things as filters. And everybody's using filters. So when you turn up to meet that beautiful young lady, she really does not look like the woman in the picture. That's when you have to decide where you whether you actually go over there and introduce yourself or not. Even the beautiful pictures of St. Leonard's and Hastings that I see sometimes, I think I've never seen it look like that, because they've put a filter on it, haven't they? So there we are, and yet we fall for it. We fall for it. We fall for the media. We fall for all the things that the media promises us that if we could have those things, We'd be happy. We'd be like those people having a perfect life. We might compare ourselves to those influencers. I'm not on Instagram. I'm very glad I'm not on Instagram. I don't, couldn't care less about influencers. I don't want them to influence me. But people get so sucked into these influencers. And you know what? <laughs> you'll never be skinnier than them. You'll never be prettier than them. You'll feel that you'll never be smarter than them. You'll never be healthier than them because they... They know how to take a photo so the belly doesn't stick out because you've just got to get in that certain pose. And after the photo's been taken, they let it out, trust me. Their house, of course, is tidier than yours has ever been because it's not real. It's not real. You see, in the bedroom picture, the husband comes home, he's told he's not allowed to go and sit on the bed to put his socks on. He can't find his gym bag, he can't find his shoes because his wife has shoved all of his stuff into the cupboard. It's like he doesn't even exist because she wants this illusion of perfection. Now, if some of those things sounded a tad girly for you boys, what about the bloke who lives next door that came home in that spanking brand new motor, the one that you've always dreamed of, the one that you've said to your wife, if I could afford it, I'd have one of those. And what about the boys who ride the motorbikes? Perhaps you would like a Honda 998cc motorbike, touring bike with panniers in pearl sienna red. 
Wow. Wouldn't your life be perfect if you could have one of those? Maybe I'm bringing the green-eyed monster out in you somewhere. But maybe it's not what someone else has that we envy. Maybe it's not their stuff. Maybe it's who they are, what they've achieved, and how that makes you feel when you compare yourself. Maybe you feel small compared to them. You feel less than. You feel like you're a failure. You feel like you've never achieved anything in life. You look at your own capacity, and it's just not there. A few years ago, I had an off-the-cuff encounter with a young lady who was suffering from depression so much that she rarely left her bed. And as we had this little chat, I suspected that her depression was rooted in the fact that she came from a family of high achievers. Especially, I felt that she maybe lived in the shadow of her highly successful sister. But as we talked, I made her laugh. And I, I just said to her, you know what? <laughs> if I compared myself to your mum, how inferior would I feel, honestly? Your mother is in the gym by five o'clock in the morning. Your mother has done all the housework by nine o'clock, including the washing that's now hanging on the line. Your mother has opened up a new business or a new charity by 12 o'clock. Your mother has managed to also organize a 21st birthday party that's going to be rocking and reeling while looking after four grandchildren. And then your mother walks out the door at seven o'clock in the evening looking drop-dead gorgeous. How does she do that? I just don't know because sometimes I don't even know what I've done with my day. How inferior could I feel if I compared myself with her? So I floated this idea to her that she was living perhaps in the shadow of her family, and yet she was this uniquely talented, creative, fun, vibrant young woman with so much that God had given her. If only she could just see it. If only she wasn't looking elsewhere and comparing and not feeling okay. Well, one year later, I met up with her, and she was no longer living in bed. She was living her best life because she decided to step out of the shadows and into the light. She decided that she was okay and, and who she was, was was who God actually meant her to be. And she was finding out who she was. She was finding out that she was enough. She was enough the way that God made her. She didn't need to try and be someone else or to match what someone else did or to match the way that they lived their life. Here's a question. Have you ever thought that maybe you are living in the shadow of someone else's success and that made you feel less than? I can remember putting some makeup on a lady, something I used to do, make my ladies beautiful. They were really beautiful on the inside. Let's show them how beautiful they can be on the outside. And there I was with my lip pencil. Can't get a good lip shape without a lip pencil, girls. you just got to have a lip pencil. Make sure that it's not, you know, a nude one sort of blends with your lip. Anyway, stop it, Kathleen. Stop it. Boys are looking like glazed over now. Uh, okay, serious. So there I am, 
doing this beautiful lip shade on these beautiful lips. I said, oh, wow. I said, you've got amazing lips. And as I looked up and I caught her eyes, I thought, oh, 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 I've said something. Oh, oh, dear, I've touched something. There was such pain in her eyes, and she started to well up. I said, I said are you all right? And she was like, Kathy, she says, you don't, you don't know what you've just said. I said, no, I don't know what I've just said. And she said, you know what? She said, when I was a little girl, she said, my mum used to introduce me as the plain one. And my sister was the pretty one. And, and then I understood that she had lived in the shadow of her sister all her... This woman was in her 50s. And she lived in the shadow of her pretty sister. She lived in the shadow of those words all her adult life. And then there's the guy that I remember him telling me that his father spoke words over him and, you know, boy, boy, he said, your brother's going to go far. But you, if you don't pull your socks up, boy, you're going to get nowhere in life. You'll be a nothing. That's what you'll be. You'll be a nothing. And he said his father's words rang in his mind for years and years because he knew he would never, ever measure up to perfect boy perfect brother, because he lived in, in that boy's shadow. Are you living in the shadow of your parents and all they've achieved and the legacy that they've left behind? Do you compare yourself with them? You see, sometimes we just don't even realize we're living in the shadows. Shadows can be other people's opinions of us, their expectations of us, but they can also be our own. The ones that we've, we've put upon ourselves, our own self-imposed limitations. And we put them there. You see, comparison is determining where I am based on where I think everyone else is. And we start these comparisons so early on in our life and we don't even realize we're doing it. We start living in the shadows of those things instead of living in the shadow of the Almighty. And the cost of comparing can be high. We've already seen that, haven't we? We lose our peace. We lose our rest. We can become bitter. We can become resentful, dissatisfied, discouraged, depressed. We think, I haven't got what other people have. They've got privilege. Oh, my goodness. That's the word at the moment, isn't it? It appears everybody else has got privilege apart from you. You know, everybody's like, oh, I'm so disadvantaged. I'm not privileged. I better not go too far onto that because I'll probably get myself in trouble, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. When you start on that road of thinking you're not privileged and you're disadvantaged, and I know there are those things, yes, there are those things, but if you take that within yourself, what is that going to do to you? What is that going to do to your soul? What is that going to do to the way that you view life? It's going to change the lens of your life, the way that you look at everybody else and the way that you look at yourself too. It will make you ungrateful. And, you know, God knows us so well. He knows what our internal dialogue is. He knows our own struggles. And maybe that's why he included in number 10 of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, he included this one. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, 
not his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Hang on, I've just noticed something here. It doesn't say you shall not covet your neighbor's husband. Oh no, I think they missed that one out. Better write it in. No. At the end, anything that is your neighbor's, it's okay. They stuck it on the end. I think they must have thought, oops, forgot that one. And they stuck it on the end there. It's okay. It's pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, you can't, you can't get any clearer than that. But just in case, as we, as we start to work towards the close, Let's look at just one quickly, one more example of a comparing example that I picked up when I was looking at Peter. Do you remember we've been looking at Peter? Peter, poor Peter, he's lost his best friend. He's depressed, doesn't know what to do with his life. He went out fishing, and then Jesus miraculously turns up, and he drags that net full to the shore. And then he has this intense conversation with with Jesus where he's restored and he's forgiven and he's given all these incredible new responsibilities and suddenly life's okay again and he's got purpose and he's got focus and he's got passion and life's an adventure. But just as that finishes and and Jesus, um, the last words that, you know, Jesus says to him is, you follow me. You follow me. And as Jesus says that, Peter turns around and he looks over here and then he looks back at Jesus and he says, but what about him? Lord, what about this man? And Jesus looks back at him and he says, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? to you? Oh, I thought, Peter, come on. You were doing so, so well. You've just, what, what was the matter with you? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Stop it. See, I think Peter was looking at him as like competition because everybody knew that John, John was the favorite. John was the one that leaned on Jesus. John was the one that was so worried at at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Who? Was Peter then wondering if John was going to get something given to him that was more than he was going to get? And and something was like, oh, 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 something going on. Is he going to get more than me? Jesus isn't interested in all of that. If I will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? I don't really know what was in Peter's heart. It's just the way I interpret things when I read stuff. But I do see that Jesus makes it very clear. It's got nothing to do with you, Peter, at all. Nothing to do with you. You just follow me. Keep your eyes on me. Stop looking at everybody else. Go with your purpose. Go with your focus and do what you've been told to do. Basically, mind your own business. When I, when, I, when I look at that, I think, well, maybe if we didn't let our eyes be so interested in seeing what others are doing, then we wouldn't find ourselves competing, coveting, and comparing. I know people have come off social media because it affects their mental health, and they're so much more at peace because of it. 
And let's not forget often that we look at somebody else's life and we, we look at all they've achieved and we look at their successes, but we don't really know their story. We don't know what their struggles were. We don't know what sacrifices that they made to have what they have or to be who they are. We don't know that. We just see their successes. But sometimes, you know, success is less about what you've achieved and more about what you've overcome. So let me finish just by asking you this. Just going to flip this slightly. Is there ever a time when comparing can be a healthy thing? I don't know. I don't know. If we could shout out loud, I'd get you giving me some feedback, but we can't do that right now. So I'll answer the question for you. I think yes. I think actually sometimes it can be used as a powerful tool for personal growth. Let me give you a little bit of an example because it's one that I know is very real in somebody else's life um, who was saying they wanted to be where their boss was. They were very ambitious. They wanted to climb the corporate ladder. And they're here and the boss is here and they want the boss's job. And they're asking themselves, what do I need to do to get where they are? What haven't I got that he's got that I need to develop in my life? He is a great people manager. He is a great time manager. Okay, so that's what I need to work on in my life, in my own personal development, if I want to be where he is. Maybe by comparing yourself, you realize that there are some things about yourself that you like, would like to change because maybe you've got some personality quirks. Oh, we've all got them, haven't we? We just don't see them because we've got the blind spots. So we don't, we don't see ourselves. Sometimes you have to ask people, do I do that? Am I like that? If your honest, honest friends um, are around you, they'll, t they'll tell you honestly, hopefully nicely as well. And sometimes we just, we just don't see it, do we? So let's land this now. The next time that you find yourself comparing, and you will, Okay, here are some things to do. Catch it. Catch it and take it captive. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge it to yourself. Go, oh, I'm doing that thing. I'm doing that thing. I remember what Kathy, I'm doing it. I know I'm doing it. Where's it going to take me? I don't want to go there. I don't want to feel like that. I need to be okay with myself. I'm not going to do it. Okay, so acknowledge it and capture it. And then count your blessings. Remind yourself of all the good things in your life that you have. Think about all those times when God came through for you, when miraculously you've been put in a place or you've been given something that you never thought that you could ever have or ever do or ever be. Remember those things. And lastly, remember this. Life is a journey. It's not a competition. Amen? I'll have an amen behind the masks. Thank you very much.